The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Amen, church. Thank you for singing. It is so good to hear voices again. You can, you can grab a seat. Um, listen, I get the privilege of praying for the preaching of the word this morning. And um, I have to tell you, in I'll get out of your way. Uh, in uh, November of, so almost a year ago, our elders, we go on an annual elder retreat. And we're praying and planning for the future, which had no idea what that future would hold. But one of the things that we do is we plan and pray for our, what we call our preaching calendar, which is what we're going to preach, who's going to do it. And I remember around that table, uh, when, when we felt the Lord leading us to the minor prophets, there was, there was one guy who was real excited about one book, and that was Herb and the book of Zephaniah. And I remember him just, I'll take it. I'll take that one, right? He had no idea what the world was going to go through between that time and now that he would get the privilege of preaching to us as we gather again. He had no idea. But our God did. And I'm so excited. We are here for a reason. I am excited to hear from my brother Herb. He's one of our elders here. If you don't know him, get to know him. Um, I get the privilege of praying for him as we come to God's word this morning. So would you just join me and let's pray together. Lord, we come before you this morning. Not only do we need each other like we have talked about, we need you to hear from you. Not just to hear from any one person, but to hear from you through your word. And, and I just pray that you would speak, that you would work through your word, through Herb, as he proclaims truth. And I pray that you would give us the ears to hear. I pray that you would soften our hearts. I pray that you would help us in the midst of all the things that could be vying for our attention and distractions and all of those things. I pray that through it all, that you are not only sovereign to give us your word, but you are sovereign in allowing us to receive it as it is preached, as your word says. So Lord, we proclaim it, we, we stand on it, and I pray that you speak through Herb this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Uh, yes, I did volunteer for it. Um, the reason being, it shows how God is a God of hope. Even, even when it appears that he's rejected you, even when it appears that you got to do this by yourself, and what I mean, you right now, I'm speaking of the children of Israel, they feel like God has abandoned them because of what has happened to them in Germany. They're trying to prove their worth to God, trying to get their temple. But just like God started Israel 
from a man who was an idolater. And just like God started Israel from a dead womb who couldn't have a child, God has to be the one to redeem them. So yes, we're looking at the minor prophets and we're looking at the book of Zephaniah. Uh, talking to my wife, um, I'm not going to shortchange you on the book of Zephaniah, but you're not going to get what I wrote to the elders. I'm going to be considerate of well, in this COVID situation. Um, I have a watch on and it's counting down. So I put myself on a timer. But for those who are my age, or close to my age, a little bit older, in the 70s there was a commercial by E.F. Hutton, and it said, it states basically when E.F. Hutton talks, people listen. What the catchphrase was trying to get people to realize that E.F. Hutton at the time was one of the largest brokers, financial advisors that there was. So if you wanted to be financially stable now and in the future, you need to hear what E.F. Hutton says. E.F. Hutton proved that they were not as reliable because they closed down in 2019. But there is someone who, when he speaks, you need to listen. He is reliable. His word is yea and amen. God lives to uphold his word. His word shall not fail. Uh, for any of you as believers right now who are struggling with understanding the purpose of this pandemic, understanding if you've lost your job, how you are going to get another job, be still first and know that he's God. Be still and know that he has a plan. Be still and know Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. That's apart from Zephaniah. Now let's get into Zephaniah. Zephaniah is uh, a grand, great, great grandson of King Hezekiah. That's how he starts off the book. He gives his lineage, and he's actually a cousin of the king who is reigning at that time, which is King Josiah. King Josiah came to reign at the age of eight. Around about the age of 18, um, King Josiah started a refurbishing project of the temple. And as he was refurbishing the temple, priest Hezekiah. Uh, found the book of the law and, and uh, Josiah's secretary read it, read it to the king. The king rent his clothes as a sign of repentance, understanding that Judah was under judgment. They rightly deserved the wrath of God. Um, so King Josiah sent some of his men to um, the prophetess Hilda and uh, the Lord spoke through her and she told 
King Josiah, because you repented, uh, you will not see the destruction, but for certain it shall happen. Uh, this started a revival process where King Josiah went through the land of Judah and the land of Israel, uh, tearing down every altar, burning every false prophet, dead priest that worshiped in the high places and worshiped and brought idols into the temple. But at the end of this refurbishing process, after they had had a, a, the greatest Passover since his great-great-grandfather, God still said, I'm going to do what I have said. I'm going to do what I have promised because of Manasseh, Hezekiah's son, because not only did he bring idols into the temple, but he killed innocent blood. There comes a point in time when there is no relenting, no turning back, and God has to, what Zephaniah keys on, the most important thing is the day of the Lord. And what I want you to know, the day of the Lord just doesn't consist of God's righteous judgment, righteous wrath. It also is a refining process for those who repent and give redemption. So the day of the Lord, most people look at the day of the Lord as a day of just God just raining down his anger, his wrath on the ungodly, but it is a refining process to prune out those who would repent, those who would call upon the name of the Lord, those who would see the sin that they have committed before God. That kind of touches on how you came to the Lord. You didn't face the day of the Lord. Someone else faced it for you. Christ faced God's wrath completely on the cross. And you realize that should have been me. And you repented and called on the name of the Lord. And you were saved. That's how you got your salvation. So, Israel tried to do what the law required without allowing the law to penetrate their heart. God constantly in the Old Testament, even in Deuteronomy chapter 10, telling them, circumcise your heart. God is not concerned about an outward appearance of righteousness. He wants his word to transform our lives, and he wanted the word of God to transform their lives. He wanted their motive to be pure. He wanted their actions to give him glory. He wanted their speech to be honorable in his sight. He didn't want them to say one thing and live another way. That's what Israel did. Israel progressively, like a seesaw, would come and worship God at the temple, but they would live a different way during the day. Some of us still struggle with that same circumstance. You play church. You come here like Israel went to the temple. You come here and you give God two seconds of your time, but you don't allow God's word to change your heart. You don't allow God's word to show you you need Jesus. You're actually religious. You're not in the relationship now. Coming to church, reading your Bible, praying isn't enough to escape the judgment that still will come. It, it won't get you from the white throne, the great white throne. If you want to transition from the great white throne to the beamer seat of Christ, you've got to relent. You got to bow your knee 
confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, Israel professed Yahweh was the God, their God, but they didn't live like it. This started, it didn't progress, it started when the covenant initially happened. At Mount Sinai, when God came down in the dark clouds and the trumpets blasting and the uh, Mount Sinai is on fire, Israel's like, uh, and God's verbally giving them the Ten Commandments. They tell Moses, uh, you talk to God, we listen to you. Uh, we don't want God talking to us like that. This is a scary moment here. I see the finiteness of my flesh and it is fearing the heck out of me. So Moses has to get up and get some instruction from God on how to build a temple and to further teach Israel how to live under a theocracy. The moment that happened, they get a block party going, they build a calf, they start dancing and every other thing that block parties have with it without any inhibition. But yet, they saw the living God come down without any form or figure, come down and set that mountain on fire with his very presence. But yet, they built a calf. They said, this is who brought us out of Egypt. You see, the rebellion in our heart is more evident the more we try to live by the law. The law is good, the law is perfect. We just can't fulfill it. The more the law, we are faced with the law, the more we see, uh, I'm going to make up my own rules. If you're honest with yourself, it, it happens with us when we drive. I'll guarantee you probably one person in this house, maybe one person, maybe two, drive the speed limit all the time. Around school in commercial places and on the freeway. Not all of us hit the, uh, uh, drive the speed limit. And if we do drive the speed limit, it was because we saw a cop. It's because Waze told us a cop was two miles up and we was like, okay, let me slow down. That's us. That's us in, in facing the law. We are rebellious at heart. Just like there is, uh, on, on Facebook, I saw this. Uh, it's funny, but it isn't funny. A kid was calling his mom by her first name. Look, Linda, Linda, look, Linda, look. Because he was over his grandparents' house, and he figured that he didn't have to obey his mother's rules. First of all, he's calling his mom, Mother Linda. I'm old school. My kids call me Linda or Herb. Mm-mm. One time, Amanda called me Herb. I just ignored her. She was like, ah, ah. And I was just like. She said, Dad. I was like, what's up? You're not going to disrespect me. You're going to give me my honor. Now, if I'm a fallible creature, want my honor, what do you think God wants? What you think God deserves? God deserves his honor. So Israel deserved to be solely dedicated to the one true God. Guess what? They wasn't. 
as I said before, they were idolaters to the core and they were immoral. They did not take care of the widow. They did not take care of the orphan. They did not treat the foreigner or the sojourner with compassion and love. Reason why they couldn't do those things, reason why they couldn't love their neighbor like themselves is because they could not get their first love right. Even us as Christians, if we're going to show the world who we are in Christ, we got to keep Jesus at the center, at the focal point of our lives. He's got to be our first love. He's got to be the reason we go to work and like going to work. He's got to be the reason we take the trash out when our wife asks us to and we know we don't want to. He's got to be the reason we wash the dishes men when we think the women should wash the dishes all the time. He's got to be the reason, ladies, that when the men say, only 200, and in your mind you hear it, only 700, and you know what I'm talking about. Respect, honor comes first when we give it to Christ. Then we know how to give it to others. So, Israel had an outward righteousness that could not please the Lord. And if your religion, like the nation of Islam, like Mormonism, like Jehovah Witness, like being a Buddhist, like Taoism, like being a Muslim. You're trying to prove yourself. You're trying to work your way in heaven. You're trying to show God you deserve salvation. And I'm here to tell you, outward righteousness won't cut the mustard because God deserves perfect worship, perfect service, and it has to start from day one. And guess what? Day one, you were born in sin. We were sinners from birth. We got that present from Adam. Thank you, Adam. Don't like it. But thank God for the second Adam. Because through this second Adam, he gives a free gift, which is eternal life, to all who will call upon the name of the Lord. You will hear that consistently through the Mount of Prophets. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And at the same time, they're telling you're going to be destroyed. The wrath of God is coming. God is going to wipe you out. God is going to not. But at the same time, they're saying, believe in, the, in Yahweh, trust in Yahweh. It's both and under the day of the Lord. And we have to see, when we share the gospel with people, we got to give them the bad news before we give them the good news. Because if we don't give them the bad news, they won't appreciate the good news. You just give them the good news without giving them the bad news that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of eternal life is through Christ Jesus. You won't appreciate it. You won't see the magnitude of the you're not, you don't meet, uh, meet the criteria of uh, meeting before a holy God. So God tells Judah and Jerusalem, I'm coming to get you. Like a, a parent tells a child, just wait till your daddy get home. They know what that means. I'm done acting crazy today because when daddy get home, I'm in trouble. He's going to discipline me if he's a good father in love, but also with restoration. He's going to 
talk to that child and restore that child and let that child know where they did wrong and how they're not living to the standard of that home. See, whether we believe it or not, whether our nation want to acknowledge it or not, whether the philosophers want to agree with true science or not, God is still the creator of the heavens and the earth. In fact, that's what he tells Edom, sons of uh, Ammon, the nations around uh, Assyria. I'm coming to get you too. Because you didn't acknowledge the first thing. I'm the creator of the universe and you haven't acknowledged that when I sent you that revelation. See, even an atheist can't get away from God because they have the revelation of creation and the revelation of their conscience when they're not doing right. Think of it like this. If I ran around all day saying, Thor doesn't exist. I'm an atheist against Thor. Y'all would look at me like, dude, I think you watch those Marvel comics too much. I think they messed up your brain. Of course Thor doesn't exist. So if God doesn't exist, why do atheists fight a fight against a person that doesn't exist? That logically doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Even on a the small philosophical level it doesn't add up that you mad against somebody who doesn't exist I have a daughter that's a psychiatrist I think she deals with those kind of people they're crazy they've gone off the deep end when you are enraged against something that doesn't exist you only are enraged against something that does exist that affects your life or is trying to tell you what to do. So Judah's in a bad position. God is coming to wipe them out. The nations are in a bad position. God is coming to wipe them out. Zephaniah deals with both of the pinnacles of, in his book. He tells you the day of the Lord and you're going to die and you're going to get wiped out and then all of a sudden he goes, ah, God is going to celebrate you over here. He doesn't feel in the middle part. The middle part is God is going to choose his own servant, his special servant, who's going to be the covenant of redemption. You can find that in Isaiah 42 and 6. Is it such a light thing that you will not be my covenant. He's talking to Israel and a light unto the Gentiles. Jeremiah was a companion of Zephaniah during the same time frame and Jeremiah said something very unique. In Jeremiah 31, chapter 31, 31 through 34, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel in the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with them, with their fathers on the day when they, I took them out by the hand and brought them out the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though, they, though I was a husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write 
it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. God in the midst of sin, disasters coming, God is saying there's a day of hope. There's a day of restoration. There's a day when you and I can get along and like he did with Adam, walk in the cool of the garden. See, God's desire is to have communion, have relationship with his creation. He doesn't like this separation that is between us and him. So he did something about it. The law was perfect, but the law was weak in changing the heart. So God said, I got to do something different. I got to do a new law. I got to make a new covenant with my people. These are my people. I chose these people. I chose Abraham. I called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees. An idolater, I made a true worshiper. Isn't that amazing? Someone who didn't know God, now they know God. Isn't that the problem of Israel? They were idolaters. Now God is going to make sure that they know who he is. That's the promise of this covenant. God has not forgotten about Israel. And to let you know, it's not just about Israel. He also includes the nations around Israel because the end of Zephaniah says, it will be Israel and the nations, which means God has a all-inclusive adoption program. If you want to be adopted by God, you got to come his way by the means he has established. You've got to believe upon the servant whom he has given. And he has made it clear when this servant will come, that this servant will be rejected, and that this servant will suffer a gruesome death. You see... Isaiah 53, although Israel now doesn't read this passage, if you ever talking to someone who's Jewish, they will say that that's about Israel. It can't be about Israel because the lamb that is being slain is perfect. This lamb is bearing somebody else's iniquities. God laid on him the iniquities of us all, in total inclusive for whoever will believe in this perfect sacrifice. So it cannot be Israel because God says in Jeremiah, this text I just read you, that he has to forgive their sins. So you can't be both and. You have to be one or the other. Either you're perfect or you need your sins forgiven. And I guarantee you, we don't measure up. I'm going to give one commandment. And if you've kept this commandment, raise your hand. And if you raise your hand, you just broke the commandment. Thou shalt not bear false witness, which means you shouldn't be a liar. Your motives always should be, should be pure from the heart. How many of you measure up? Oh, I see no hands in the room. One time you told the truth. Yes, we don't measure up to the law. We need a redeemer. We need a redeemer. Israel needs a redeemer, and the nations need the redeemer. And the redeemer is Yahweh. 
You can find that in Isaiah 48, 16, and 11 for all the note takers. It talks about God speaking about Yahweh God and the spirit and him being sent. Then verse 17 talks about and the Lord, the Redeemer, you shall profit in his ways. So if you want to have a life that blesses you, blesses others, and most of all, give glory to God, you need to have ears to hear what God says about a situation and about a circumstance. God is willing to graft anyone into the true vine or into the true root, which is he himself. See, the uh, root has been cut because of Israel's disobedience. But it hasn't been cut to the point that it won't come back alive. Has anyone ever cut a tree down before? You know, if you don't take it up by the root, that tree will sprout again. God isn't done with his act of redemption for Israel. God isn't done with his act of redemption for the world. There's going to come a point in time where God is going to take the church out because God has not appointed us to wrath. That's called the harpazo or the rapture. He's going to snatch us up. Then God is going to begin this time frame. And this is the last times. And within the elders, there's room for discussion and debate. But in the last days, God is going to start a seven-year period where he's going to deal with Israel. And he's going to put them in the corner. And he's going to make them say, uncle. And they're going to believe on, upon the one whom they have pierced. It is like this. If you've ever watched... The movie trilogies, The Lord of the Rings or The Hobbits, there is a scene where Gandalf is dressed in white. He's coming down off the mountain. They're about to be wiped out. Gandalf went to go get help. He comes on this white steed across the mountain and the brightness of the sun behind him and him dressed in white, there is a shining glory of his presence. Well, Jesus doesn't need help, but we coming back with him, riding with him, and the glory of his presence, the sun will refuse to shine, but Jesus Christ will come forth in all his glory to rescue Israel, and they're going to say, uncle. And at this time, according to Zechariah, Zephaniah chapter, chapter um, 3, verse 9, it says this, For at this time I will charge the, change the speech of the people to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and him with one accord. Their hearts are going to be changed because they're going to come to the end of themselves. Just like you did. When you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you came to the end of yourself. You said, I realize I'm a sinner and I can't. If I'm going to inherit eternal life, I need God. I need someone to get me from this side of the mountain to that side of the mountain. You need someone to direct your path. So God is going to celebrate during this millennial time his redemptive work over his people and over his creation. And we're going to celebrate with him. Let everyone rejoice. This is a minor synopsis of the book of Zephaniah. I pray that your hearts were blessed. I pray it gave you an insight on the book if you've never read it before. But the key thing is, 
God is the hope of Israel. And not just the hope of Israel, he's the hope of all nations because he is the essence of the new covenant. He's the source of our redemption. Thank you.